Well, holy shit. Here we are again. And this time, the lag between episodes is severe, to say the least. Um, I, yeah, I have no excuse. Uh, I missed April, May, June. And um, at this point, I have also missed July and August. So, yeah, really behind. And, um, you know, if any of you listeners were looking forward to episodes with more regularity, fingers crossed, I remain consistent from here on. Um, it's tough, though, uh, with real-world shit going on, um, making the time to do something like this. Uh, I do think I need to reevaluate my intended drop date. Uh, I've just discovered that the first weekend of the month it's just not as feasible as I initially thought. Um, so I guess the updated schedule that I'm shooting for is going to be the second Tuesday of every month. Uh, at least until another unforeseeable delay stymies things up again. Uh, so, like I said, fingers crossed um, that we can keep this train a-running. I did have an episode planned for April, and it's one that would have touched on several live albums that I've been coming back to over and over again for about as long as I can remember. Uh, but there just wasn't really a spark when I sat down to try and script it. And yes, I said script. I do script these things to some degree. Um, it's impossible not to uh, free-flowing uh, free as much as I would love to be able to say is no problem. Um, it's easier when you've got somebody else to play off of when it's just you. Um, you gotta have something to refer to. Anyway, um, the only album that I compiled uh, that I really could spend a whole lot of length talking about beyond just saying it fucking rules uh, is The Dictators. Fuck them if they can't take a joke. And I really could talk about that one at length. Um, but I'd be hard-pressed to present an entire episode based around it. Uh, at that point, I might as well just play every track on the album. Uh, it's on YouTube. You can check it out. It's fucking awesome. Uh, vital. Anyway, I digress. Less explanatory blathering and more ranting and raving about some awesome shit. Uh, I don't really want to miss any beats here, so we're just going to jump right into our regular programming, and as always, what's been on the fucking turntable and in the goddamn tape deck. Um, so it's, for starters, Voivod, uh, basically the entire discography through the outer limits. I mean, honestly, what the hell can really be said in regard to the mighty Voivod that hasn't already been said at some point in the duration of their career? They are immediately strange and alien, singular and stoic, while maintaining a direct dichotomy to those aforementioned things. They're completely unique. Whether you're beginning with the savage bombast of their early work to the refined thrash of killing technology or fucking delving into the progressive, spacey vibes of Angel Rat or Nothing Face and especially the Outer Limits, there's always something unique and rewarding to be found within their tunes um, seriously an amazing amazing group totally off kilter musically disciplined refined but an embrace of an oral chaos that would tear most other bands apart it's total musical supremacy and it's a band that like I said through those albums I cannot get enough of 
I'm just kind of getting into their post outer limits stuff. Um, it doesn't all hit for me, but when it does, it's fucking great. Second album that I've been totally addicted to is Overkill's Taking Over, uh, released 1987 by Noise Megaforce. Um, I'm assuming that the Noise Press would be the European version and the Megaforce would be the US version. The version I happen to have is on Noise. Um, and if album covers had personalities to match the content of the record itself, that second full length is a thing of pure malevolence and vitriol. It's so good. And the cover is just amazing. Uh, it oozes a feral zeal and blasphemous swagger that is sorely lacked by modern thrash. Uh, you could say that it's front-loaded because Deny the Cross is the first track and it's a fucking primer on the perfect thrash song and what it should sound like. Uh, however, the heft and dynamics that hook you there manage to persist throughout, which is uh, a feat. Uh, whether it's the primal sleaze of Use Your Head and Fatal If Swallowed, or the quick ravaging of electroviolence, or the apocalyptic bombast of the closer Overkill 2. The record just oozes attitude. Uh, if, if I could write an album, this would be the album I'd probably want to write. Uh, and it's a deserving classic of its genre. It uh, outshines a ton of their contemporaries and just proves that Thrash has fucking longevity to spare, despite false trends. And the last album I'm going to briefly talk about that I've been addicted to is Jag Panzer's Ample Destruction, released in 1984 on Ironworks. The shit's fucking ridiculous. The epitome of burly savagery and American power metal braggadocio. And you, I've been wanting to use the word braggadocio for a while now. Finally get to. It's pretty awesome. Um, and that was before the genre was overrun by flowery European up-and-comers. Uh, this is up there, in my opinion, with the first three Omen records. It measures up effortlessly to Manila Road from the same era goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with anything liege lord or tyrant laid to wax and straight up destroys the debuts from hellstar i love them but burning star stands no chance against ample destruction or armored saint and as much as i dig it march of the saints is straight up feeble next to this slab seriously the guitar tone that overrides almost everything on ample destruction is dirty and brazen but retains melody and heart. It's got a filthy bass that matches pace throughout. The drumming kills, but the highlight is without any doubt the insane vocal performance from Harry the Tyrant Conklin. Absolutely without peer. Uh, this is a complete knuckle-dragger and all the better for it. Just gloriously ignorant, but also totally infectious and addictive. Now, as I always say, Anything I plug is because I'm stoked as hell on it. And I urge anyone listening to delve into whatever that may be music-wise. I've so far mostly touched on classic shit, and while I know that I push the buy-fucking-physical-media agenda, it's not without cause. Supporting this art is essential for artists to continue creating. That said, I also realize that some of what I talk about may seem extremely hard to come by, but... It's out there, and you should grab it while that's the case. 
Now, all that said and done, my tendency to lean toward old shit, it's not going to change in this installment, uh, at least in spirit. Although the impetus for the episode is in fact new. Uh, meaning, <laughs> here's some new shit that sounds old that I fucking love from 2019. I make no allusions to the impact that German metal has played in the shaping of what I dig. I, I know it's come up in past episodes. Um, I'm not going to go back and find timestamps, but um, I love German metal, German thrash specifically. Um, something about it. Anyway, um, before I get on that rant or uh, tangent, um, we're going to first be discussing the often overlooked and somewhat mislabeled second tier definitely not second tier in my opinion uh, Teutonic Thrash Brilliance of Protector and their latest Summon the Hordes criminally unsung drop from April 26th of this year and it was released by High Roller Records um, they handled Protector's 2016 Cursed and Coronated, reanimated Homunculus from 2013, as well as reissues of all of the classic Protector albums up through 1993's The Heritage. Um, and it's an album that flew in way under my radar. Uh, honestly, I had no idea this thing existed, and my only real defense is my general ignorance in 2019 of anything actually released in 2019. Um, shit, I had no idea about new Nocturnus or Possessed records until they'd already come out. And it's the same deal with uh, Protector. Uh, hailing from Wolfsburg in Germany, Protector was formed in 1986 by Michael Hass, or Hasse, I don't know. Uh, American ignorance is my only claim here. Uh, and they promptly dropped the Savage protector of death demo shortly after that vocalist martin missy was recruited and the band would release two more demos in 1987 cain and abel followed by misanthropy the latter of which may very well be one of the finest german thrash demos ever dropped short of poisons into the abyss now that's just my opinion and opinions i hear are like assholes Misanthropy bore a lot in common with outsiders to the German scene, like Possessed from the U.S., Italy's Necrodeath, or Massacre from France. Um, Protector's brand of thrash was relentless and uncompromising, but not without pause or melody, and Missy's distinct vocals helped give it even more of its own identity, separate from their countrymates. Um, I think their sound remained solid and consistent, starting with their first official record, 1988's Golem, uh, which is often cited as their early masterpiece, and then ran through the legacies of Erm the Mad and Leviathan's Desire, um, the first album of Protector's run with Ollie Weevil stepping into Martin Missy's shoes. Uh, the change didn't disrupt the band, however, and in my opinion, and 
like I said, about opinions. Uh, they peaked with 1991's A Shedding of Skin, which is honestly amazing. It's a savage slab of superior death thrash, uh, and it trounces its peers in Spectrum of Death, Tortured Existence, or Ritually Abused. Uh, it was a record of feral sonic proportions that never lets up. Uh, even when it slowed down, sacrificing speed for sheer chugging destruction. All topped off by what may well be the best production job by Harris Johns for that era, uh, which is positing a lot considering the pedigree of the bands that he was working with back then. <laughs> Caravan, and we're going to talk a little bit about that later. Uh, the Heritage in 1993 was more the same uh, from what they started with the shedding of skin. 
following that, however, there was a lull in activity from the protector camp that lasted 18 years and ended with the return of Thrash and Madness demo, which they released in 2011. That album actually saw OG member Martin Missy spitting fire once more. Seriously, his vocals are incendiary. Uh, full lengths in 2013 and 2016, respectively, were underwhelming. Um, at least for me, uh, being, I don't want to say a mega fan, but I like them a lot. Um, considering they came from Protector, uh, but at that point, Missy was the sole mainstay. Uh, no one else was original. Uh, while sonically, the Thomas Skogsberg at the Boards albums were dynamic enough, uh, they simply didn't pack the punch that Protector is renowned for. So, if in 2019, the worst thing that you can say about a new Protector album is that the lead-off, Stillwell Avenue, is slightly underwhelming, then you have nothing to worry about regarding the quality of the record. Now, that's criticism, but at the end of the day, it's still a solid cut with a ton of nuance and dynamics and a lush production job courtesy of Harris Johns again. Um coming along for the ride and the album's all the better for it uh, I've always appreciated the warmth of his productions and Summon the Hordes is no exception uh, with care given to help each instrument stand out against the oral apocalypse of the full album the bass drum especially sounds supreme uh, goddamn jackhammer that just picks up with each track Martin's vocals are as venomous as ever and his snarls as usual are another fucking high point.
is another new cut, Unity, Anthems, and Pandemonium. Now, more than anything, Summon the Hordes is an ode to a shedding of skin, uh, and that's evident in Steel Caravan, which we heard earlier. Um, and that runs the gamut of tempos, never losing heft or intensity, which is impressive. Um, the track Celtic Hammer has been compared aptly to uh, Celtic Frost in their prime, and it is a chugging slow burn that ends just as scathingly as it begins. And there are plenty of other high points uh, here to be sure. Uh, for my money, they're all trumped by the face-melting buildup and intensity of Unity Anthems and Pandemonium, which we literally just heard. Um, so, you know, hear for yourself. Um, the track just slays all fucking day. Uh, to be truthful, the only regrettable mishap of the album is the closing cut, Glove of Love, which just doesn't totally fit with the rest of the record, uh, in my opinion. Um, a fun track, but uh, would be better suited for um, a B-side or a, a, a comp of a, a rare shit. Um, when I was younger, uh, a friend tried turning me on to Protector, <laughs> and I dismissed them based on the art for Golem. Uh, a rudimentary image of a stone giant raining chaos upon a handful of villagers. Uh, it looks like something you'd see painted on the uh, sidewall of a GM van uh, in the 80s. Um, I imagine that if he'd had a copy of Misanthropy, my response would have been different, uh, but I digress. Uh, I revisited them sometime later in their dormancy and just fell in love with their caustic brand of thrash. Just a sick sick band and while i don't ever expect some in the hordes to replace the classic protector records um it stands neck and neck on its own merits uh definitely seek it out it's fucking great now i can't speak very well about everything from the next band i'm gonna ramble about here uh as i came on to them only once their fourth record dropped uh, i think back in 2003 i went back some but of their early material, that record, in particular, stood out most due to its infectious brand of heavy metal and sci-fi themes. I am talking about the Lord Weird Slaufag's Traveler, uh, based on a tabletop role-playing game, and in my opinion, their best album to date. Uh, it's got nothing but killer heavy metal hooks, raging hard rock sung with conviction, and played so dexterously that... You'd think the players have always had a beyond firm grasp on their instruments. Now, after Traveler came Atavism in 2005, and that was a far cry from the sheer massive weight of their prior album. It kind of failed to click for me, to be honest, as I'd always reached for its predecessor or Down Among the Dead Men instead, but Hardworlder dropped in 2007. I said Hardworlder, man. Again, regaining my bearings, folks. Uh, Hardworlder dropped in 2007 fucking kicked my ass uh, I saw them live while touring for Hardworlder and to date it's been one of the most high energy and uncompromisingly fun show experiences of my 40 plus years uh, like Traveler, Hardworlder is a concept album boasting incredible art and even more incredible tunes uh, from the outset slash opener of the Return of Doctor Universe it's an album that you just know is going to be special now, in the 12 years since then, uh, Slaufeg has released three full lengths and a live record. And none of them have really connected for me the way that Traveler and Hardroller did. Uh, by chance, I stumbled, stumbled, 
I stumbled across a stream of an album called New Organon, released by Cruz del Sur, uh, back in May, late May or early June. And then I realized it was a new Slaufeg effort and a proper one at that, utilizing the full moniker Lord Weird Slaufeg. I don't know if my pronunciation there is correct. Uh, if you are familiar with the band, you would know they took their name uh, from a character in uh, a series of comics uh, for 2000 AD called Slain. Um, great shit. Uh, even reading it, uh, still not sure about the pronunciation. Anyway, I was uh, apprehensive, though, uh, upon finding the stream. Uh, because the last album, Digital Resistance, it, it did, honestly did nothing for me. Um, it failed completely to capture that essence of Slaufek that I ultimately uh, adore and forgive them their missteps for. <laughs> And as it turns out, Newer Ganon sees a crucial return to form, in my opinion anyway. Uh, Harkening back to Hardworlder and Traveler before that, 
I would posit that there's something about the tangibility of Slaufag's concept album specifically that compel me, because this is another one in their canon. Uh, frontman Mike Scalzi teaches philosophy for his day job, so intertwining the themes of Francis Bacon's New Organon, but more specifically the evolution of philosophy from Aristotle into the present. And uh, by present, consider that Bacon's book was published in 1620. Uh, with the music of Slaufag makes absolute sense. His lyrics, as expected, are to the point and succinct, and while drenched in profundity, uh, they escape being needlessly wordy and deliver their point with the full heft and weight of his soaring vocals. And musically, New Organon is a fucking ripper, as should be evident from what we just heard. Scalzi and collaborator Angelo Tringali both attack the guitar, and their interplay is the stuff that legendary metal is made of. Twin harmonies and galloping riffs galore. Their back and forth is melodic and catchy, and it's always interesting. Uh, comparisons to Thin Lizzy, Maiden, 70s-era Scorpions will be unavoidable while talking about Slaufag, but trite as it may seem, it's also apt. Uh, to deny hearing elements of Power Slave, Taken by Force, or Johnny the Fox would be disowning the record's legacy, but it still retains its own identity and distinctive personality. As well as the aforementioned players, Adrian Maestas returns on bass, a long-standing member, first performing with the band on Traveler in 2003. His chops have been long the driving force behind Slaufag's rhythm, and that's not changed here at all. His bass lines have a sound and swagger all their own, and matched with the drum patterns here, you just have a band playing in elder synchronicity. I try to imitate myself causing pain. My friend, I agree. Lost all sense of shame
the cynic a track which beautifully encapsulates i think all of the high points of the album um just fantastic the melody um the the vocalization it's just a fucking great song um now it's funny to me when i first stumbled upon traveler slough were considered part of the new wave of traditional heavy metal uh, it's 2019, and these guys have been soldiering on in one carnation or another since 1996. That's over 20 years now, and in my eyes, long enough to solidify them legendary status. I wouldn't hesitate to put them up there with Manila Road at this point. As far as American heavy metal goes, it doesn't get any more epic or sincere than the Lord Weird Slaufeg. Lord Weird Slaufeg. Say that ten times fast. Get back to me if you succeed. I want to see video footage. And I can't urge you enough to scope out their new record, New Organon. It rules. It would be absolutely an understatement to say that throughout time, the Seattle area where I'm from has been a haven for punk rock music of every sort. Seriously, go back and explore the history. I'm going to do that in the next episode, by the way. So... You can either do that now on your own accord or wait and let me do the work. Um, however, the underground scene here, especially in the late 80s and 90s, uh, transcended that genre umbrella by embracing other artists and scenes from elsewhere. As far-reaching as grunge, of course, you've probably heard of that. Garagey blues rock and dirty heavy metal. Emo and shoegaze and outsider pop. Goth, industrial meth-driven, motorhead-worshipping, raw rock and roll. In more of a niche, encompassing the lo-fi sounds of shit like the wipers, the headcoats, the fallouts, gas huffers, supercharger, the gories, man or astroman, the motards, the 145s, dead moon, impala, the makers, bottom feeders, Zeke, lowly in the chones, and a shitload more that I haven't the time or knowledge to list off here. Now, not all of those bands are from the Seattle area, but uh, I'm getting to the point. I think a lot of our exposure to bands like that was due to an, at the time, abundance of fucking sick record shops that stocked the shit you hadn't gotten sick of seeing at Tower, Sam fucking Goody. Places like Fallout Records, Wall of Sound, Orpheum, Cellophane Square, Easy Street, which still exists in West Seattle, and Silver Platters all contributed to the delinquentization of Seattle's punk rock youth. Anyway, long story short, but it was because of places like that, stocking labels like Estrus, Cruz, Matador, Man's Ruin, Crypt, Ripoff, and IFA. And if not because of those labels, I never would have stumbled across any of the former or international bands like the Stipchis from the Netherlands or Japan's Teen Generate and Guitar Wolf. 
It's that latter band I want to talk about here. One, two, three, four! That track rips it is off of Love and Jet, the latest slab from Guitar Wolf, which dropped in the U.S. on Third Man Records back in May. It is as much a scorcher as anything the band has ever released. Now, this is a trio that I first stumbled onto personally during my short time working for Scarecrow Video. Uh, it's still standing, one of the country's oldest and largest video stores. Check them out and support brick-and-mortar shops. PSA aside, I want to say I found them in a late 2000 via an import of the original Japanese VHS tape. A side note for you collectors, most of Asia used NTSC as a standard, so VHS tapes from countries like Japan and Taiwan will work in a US VCR if you're stuck in the Stone Age and collect dead media. Uh, and tapes from third-party sellers on Amazon Japan tend to be nearly free, minus shipping, uh, the more you know. Uh, that second PSA aside, uh, the film I'm talking about, a little schlock flick called Wild Zero, I rented it immediately. Uh, based on the cover art, and a roommate's recommendation he had basically collected everything Guitar Wolf had released up until that point and we had a viewing party at the house I was living in and we fell in love with it I'm not going to review the movie here uh, however 
this is purely for context. Little thing called context. So proper. If you include live records, Love and Jet is Guitar Wolf's 16th album. But you'd never know it because they sound just as amped and ferociously energized as they have on their best records. Now, to date, my favorite is Planet of the Wolves, but I suspect that's due to my love for Wild Zero, and it's basically the soundtrack. Uh, followed close by 2002's UFO Romantics. After spending some time with Love and Jet, I'd say it makes the trifecta. Uh, in the years that followed UFO Romantics, Guitar Wolf went to some length to, quote, clean up, unquote, their sound. Not to say that their songwriting deviated much from what makes Guitar Wolf so fucking reliably insane, but the production lost some of the fuzz and gained fidelity that didn't need to be there. Love Rock and Space Battleship Love, I'm looking at you. title track love and jet and right out of the gate rips past any potential subtlety and just stomps for two and a half minutes harkening back to high intensity ragers on early records like kung fu ramon or wolf rock now if ever there was a record's full intent on its opening salvo it's definitely here the whole track list is ridiculously good 
but standouts also include Sex Jaguar and Planet of the Batara. With Fireball Red Legend, a frenzied rocker that relentlessly hooks you and then shakes you like a rag doll until your neck hurts. It's hard to choose favorites between that or the closer in Mayumi the Untouchable, which basically just primes you to flip the record and go back through it again. An especially inspired choice for track here, though, is uh, their cover of Give Me Some Lovin' by The Outsiders, which originally appeared on the album In back in 1967. All throughout... Drumwolf Torus kicks blast, his tom pounds, his snare rattles and cymbals crash in a frenetic rumbling that would threaten to shake a stage off kilter. He's backed by Bass Wolf Gotts, his first album with Guitar Wolf in fact, but he carries himself with such pomp you'd never know it. His strings perfectly complement the buzzsaw jangle of Guitar Wolf Seiji himself, the never-aging face of the band, and arguably glue and black magician that keeps him going some 32 years after inception. Dare I say, a better power trio in punk never existed? <laughs> Did I go there? And if they have, then they have never played like their very essence depended on it, like Guitar Wolf does here.
Kata Nobaba. Not the closer, but should perfectly encapsulate my point. Perfect record. Moving on. Seismic, apocalyptic, unhinged, burning spirit. And while I could leave my synopsis of Sekisu's scathing satyromania released by Sangreal Records on July 19th, at that, it's an album I'm compelled to talk about in some greater length because it's just so fucking good. Now, bear in mind that my familiarity with Sekisu begins and ends with this record, though they've existed since at least um, 2016 when Dystopian Dogs released their Fuck on Loud Night EP. They dubbed their hybrid of raw street punk and savage speed metal Wild Spirit Metal Punk, <laughs> which hits close to home here to say the least. I haven't heard anything as off the rails or completely blown out and knuckle-draggingly riffy as this all year, and thank God for that, because there can be only one. If Sekisu were Christopher Lambert, they'd be beheading all potential rivals. <laughs> Psy Warfare. That track fucking smokes. The guitar. Just killer. So good. Anyway, the album evokes the same post-apocalyptic insanity of a band like Japan's Gates or Tiger Junkies from both Japan and the US, while at the same time paying homage to Bastard and Black Uniforms, Deathside and Data Morgana. Fuck, I could play the name game and compare game all day here. But in all honesty, none of that shit really matters because in the end, Sekisu is fucking Sekisu and no one else. They are their own carnation of raw metal punk and they stand atop the heap. The riffage, razor sharp, as you've already heard. 
a furious whirlwind of playing that hammers the frets and strings with so much zeal it's hard to imagine there's not blood all over the guitars employed. That goes for the bass rig here too. It plows through the middle of the tracks, pacing all of the songs and giving a nuclear oomph that might not have been there with anyone else hitting the instrument. The drumming is a relentless barrage of kicks and snares and toms that surge and swell and give cadence to the entire proceedings. Both totally off the rails and disciplined and martial, it all gels so well the record becomes almost overwhelming in its atmospherics. Lyrically, the album is heady and hedonistic rather than full of front-loaded politics or brash posturing, and those attentive enough will be able to pick up on that based solely on the mind-blowing artwork provided by Adam Kindred. Look his work up. Um, it's fucking phenomenal. If I'm honest, the cover art is what initially drew me to the record, and I imagined something sounding like language resist mental slaughter, um, and I guess comparisons could be made, um, but enough of that. Uh, I was somehow both close and totally off the mark, as stated above, this band, while absolutely indebted to multiple scenes and multiple genres, have twisted those very things into their own vision, and, uh, and in this case, I absolutely buy it. <laughs> Thank you. 
Now that track has a kanji title, uh, and I believe translates to Hayakumono Gitari Kaiden Kai, which translates in English uh, to a gathering of 100 supernatural tales. And um, I don't want to get too involved in the explanation of what that is, because it's not what the entire record's about. Uh, but it is uh, a cool piece of history, uh, Japanese history, uh, Buddhist history, um, regarding uh, ghost stories and uh, the lighting and uh, extinguishing of lanterns. It's pretty interesting stuff. Again, heady, hedonistic, um, and a fucking perfect summarization of um, the album Satyromania. Um, just a phenomenal release. Um, pretty bummed that these guys just popped up on my radar this year um, and recently at that um, but this is an album of the year contender for me as are the rest of these albums that I've talked about so that's what I've got for today for this episode the first in five months um, I might do this again at the end of the year uh, because there are a few others that have popped up um, in my peripheral that I really want to talk about uh, at some length at some point um, so look forward to that probably, uh, December, you know, that's when everybody else does their albums of the year, uh, whatnots won't necessarily be albums of the year, but it'd be a few more 2019 releases, uh, because at this point it's rare that I buy 2019 releases. Um, I'm kind of to the point where I'm just really filling gaps, um, and then finding shit along the way that I want to talk about, uh, recalling shit along the way that I want to talk about. Um, as I mentioned previously, uh, the next episode is going to be devoted to um, Pacific Northwest music uh, and some albums that are highly influential and important to me as far as help, helping me to establish my path on uh, music appreciation, um, as it were. Uh, on that note, I'm going to call it a wrap. I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you all for your support. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram if you're clever. You can find me on Facebook uh, under the High Defamation Podcast. Um, I try to post updates when uh, episodes are upcoming or when I think of shit that I just want to put out there for the listeners to, to see. And I definitely encourage uh, interaction and responses. Um, communication. Uh, it's awesome uh, just having that... Uh, um, back and forth uh, interaction to go back to um, and keep the conversation going about music um, all that said thanks a lot I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you're looking forward to more until then <laughs>